Startup Podcast. I'm your host, Sudan Siva, the head of corporate development of Vogue Software Group, where we buy and hold vertical market software companies across the world. In this podcast, we'll introduce you to owners and operators who run a vertical software business, talk about their story, how they view the market, and the trends that they see. Stay tuned for our next guest on the Vertical Software Podcast. Hey, everyone. Very excited to have our guest today, Stephanie LaPierre. She is the founder and CEO of Peelbook, which is a incredibly you know, modern uh, and important uh, company tackling the problem of supply chain data and transparency. I think a lot of times you know, we talk about supply chain in a lot of different contexts, but very rarely do we think about it from a data perspective. And even more rarely do we think about it from the perspective of applying data in terms of a software and providing the transparency, the visibility uh, required you know, for any supply chain process within larger companies or any company for that matter to do well. And so Stephanie, she's a thought leader in the space and you know, incredibly intelligent, highly recommend going through her posts on LinkedIn. With that, would love to, Stephanie, for you to introduce yourself. So you said the bar really high. Um, I'm the CEO, as I mentioned, I'm the founder and CEO of Tailbook. You know, the idea of Tailbook came from my own personal experience. I built a consulting firm before Tailbook focused on improving efficiencies of the procurement function, originally with large Fortune 100 companies and then helping build procurement function for hyper growth companies that were building typically their first supply chain and were looking for more transparency, more scalability, more enablement, as small teams growing really, really fast. And it's through that experience that I saw that, you know, most of the friction and the inefficiencies that happen in supply chain or procurement really came from the lack of good access to good information fast enough. It comes to a fundamental issue of having an employee that needs to do their job and they need a supplier to do that job. And there's a lot of friction and there's a lot of suppliers and because there's a lot of suppliers, there's a lot of data. And what I saw is, is a movement towards adopting software solutions as a way to capture data. But what ends up happening is based on each of the functions and the requirements of those functions, more technologies are being introduced and it starts causing very, very quickly silos and this disparate data set in a way that makes it really, really difficult to unify. And if you can't unify it, you, you don't have, as an, as an organization, visibility into opportunities or gaps. And not having information really paralyzes you in making better, faster decisions to the benefit of the organization. And so I saw this quite early on and sat on the idea for nine years, having children and having a successful consulting business. I just didn't see the need to turn my life upside down to build this technology. But nine years of seeing what was happening in the market and in seeing the trends towards cloud, procure-to-pay software, I just didn't buy in that that was going to solve the data problem. And so I took a bet in you know, building a technology that was going to bring a solution to the market and hoping the market was going to catch up. And it's definitely accelerated how it's caught up in the last few months. Amazing. Amazing. And, and you know, amazing story in particular. I mean, going back a bit, to me, it's hard to imagine the likelihood of, you know, doing business in your undergrad, kind of having a bit of a sales background, starting up a consulting practice around supply chain, 
of all areas, and then now starting a software company tackling this problem. Like, what got you interested about supply chain? I, as most people uh, don't choose supply chain or procurement, it sort of chooses you through my consulting practice. So initially it started by being for me owning um, business challenges and finding it really hard to find suppliers that would bring innovation and help me differentiate uh, the brand that I was working on to building a service to help commercial teams solve for really big challenges. And through that came the opportunity to tap into suppliers for innovation. So I started building processes around how do you find innovation to solve these big challenges and the outcome was always incredibly positive and the process was always incredibly efficient. And so that's when some of our customers start seeing the value as they were building what they call strategic sourcing processes, start seeing some of the benefit that translated really nicely in what we were doing to help their strategic sourcing function becoming uh, a lot more in sync with the business requirements and the goals of the business. And so that's how it, it, it sort of evolved. And I think at the core, I'm a problem solver. And so seeing problems and, and want to always fix them. And also, I think I've got, uh, just, you know, I've always known that I want to be an entrepreneur. So solving problems and then building businesses that solve big problems has been you know, of interest. And supply chain and procurement is a perfect, perfect area to, to solve for because it's been quite tactical, right? Very process driven, fairly antiquated, and uh, there's a huge opportunity to bring a lot more efficiencies to this function. Yeah, completely agree. And, you know, going on uh, the topic of building businesses, you ran a consulting company, Matchbook, and then you switched over to Tealbook. What did you have to learn? What did you have to unlearn from your experience of building, you know, a service-based company and switching over to a software-based company? Because I'd imagine all the things that you measure, the way you look at a business, your day-to-day activities are all completely different. How was that transition like for you? I mean, completely different. (laughs) (laughs) And I do mentor a lot of of founders, or I get, you know, people contact me, they have a consulting business, find a problem, they want to build technology around it. And it's hard to transition because it's completely different. The decision making process of buying services versus technology is completely different. I had under completely underestimate how hard it was going to be. It's much easier to get service dollars, shockingly, than, than technology. You know, in, in consulting, you're bringing expertise and it's, it's the expertise that you're bringing. You're paid for that expertise and the hours that you're putting into it, depending on the people on your team. And I was really fortunate to have built a really strong team with Matchbook it, it can only scale so much, right? You can scale it, you can scale services, but it's really depending on people. You know, I saw this huge opportunity with Tailbook to solve a much, much bigger problem and knew it was going to be hard to build a tech company. I, again, I underestimate how hard it was going to be. Everything was a learning process from building the technology itself to building the teams to build the technology to the IP considerations to uh, learning how to, to build it, to sell it, uh, fundraising, <laughs> the whole thing has was, was been a giant puzzle. It's been a giant puzzle coming back from a fundamental business problem that I want to fix. I didn't come at it from, I have got a technology that I want to be able to commercialize. I have a problem that could be solved in many, many different ways. And so putting this puzzle together to be able to solve it in the most efficient and the most, the most commercially viable way uh, it was a huge challenge, and and luckily we're kind of on the other side. But that was really hard. 
really it'll continue to be hard, but in different ways now, you know, yeah. I required an enormous amount of motivation, which I don't know where, you know, it came from, but definitely, I think there's a passion of wanting to solve this problem and seeing the solution and trying to figure out how to, how do we build it? You know, how do we get to this vision? It's been, you know, a lot of resiliency, a lot of, you know, learning, a lot of sleepless night, a few gray hair underneath. <laughs> <laughs> But we're in a really good spot now with a great team and great investors and great customers. And so uh, it's paid off. You know, if someone asked me recently, would I do it again? Yes. If I know how hard it was going to be, I probably would have not maybe done it. I would have weighted the pros and cons and the sacrifices to my family and, and my other business, frankly. But it's been, you know, a great learning experience. And my sanity check is, do I smile 98% of the time? And I, I'm still smiling 98% of the time. So um, awesome. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, good to hear. And, and you know, obviously, huge respect in, in terms of you know being able to let go of the consulting business and, and quickly transition to building a software company. Definitely a more difficult transition than I think people give recognition to. Tell us more about Tealbook and you know just how how that journey's been like. I know you know it seems like you've gotten past you know the typical or problem of product market fit things are going well from a growth perspective, but we'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. So, I mean, our, what our technology does is it grabs information across hundreds of millions of different data stores, and we unify all this data into what we call a dynamic universal supplier record. And so that universal supplier record, as we get more data, becomes more complete, more insightful, more trusted, and much more valuable to, to our customers. And our customers can use that universal supplier record to plug into any of their systems. And so we've really positioned ourselves to be the trusted source of data or the data foundation that fuels the digital enterprise. Any software that has supplier information that needs to be automated, maintained, needs to be validated, you now have the opportunity to add a technology that enables that as opposed to to doing it in antiquated ways and trying to unify or integrate data or having to cleanse and upload and maintain and validate. And so once you start having the light turn on to your data, the first, what we call the till moment is seeing things you couldn't see before and confirm things that you may have thought of, but now you've got the data to support it. And that typically defines the, for a client, uh, the baseline of the completeness of the information and their strategy. And their strategy is really based on their leadership priorities. And having good data translates in hundreds of use cases. <laughs> I would say even thousands of use cases. And what was the hardest thing when you're building a technology like this that has AI at its core and big data is that once you start having this, how do you sell it to customers in a way that is really tangible? And the example we often give is you buy a house because you love the house. But if the house has a really bad foundation, you know, you're going to have a lot of problems. And so the foundation is so important, but, but a lot of teams have you know, poured millions of dollars in their software uh, solution because they could see it. It was tangible. They could build a business case around automating POs or transactions or, or, or any other workflow. Uh, but when you're talking about building a business case for data, it's a little harder. And so what we had done originally is, you know, we built, when Jeff joined, Jeff Peddles, our CTO, worked at Google, worked at Shango, spent 10 years at Ariba uh, and IBM before that, really focused on machine learning and big data and the usability of big data. What was really important is that we, had, we could build the infrastructure 
for scale and we build a mechanism to make the data better over time across again millions and millions of companies and also understanding you know what are the trends between companies so we look at data across five categories and the first one we tackle was goods and services what do suppliers actually do extracting that data normalizing it translating into key tag and searchable words and natural languages and then start mapping against standard codes like next code and UNSPC PSC code so that we could start really categorizing the data and make it that automated for a client huge value add because that's typically done manually and it requires a lot of work and then we built algorithms that look at about 300 dimensions of what makes suppliers similar not to one another so that's allowed us to build some really powerful search engines around similar suppliers. So if you're doing similar suppliers and your vendor master, you can see areas of consolidation. You can start, you know, creating competitiveness opportunities even within your own uh, supply base, but also outside. Like what what do I not know, right? So that you can start increasing competitiveness or you can start increasing target for suppliers that meet your sustainable requirement or sustainability requirement or diversity requirement, et cetera. And so by doing this, we start building software to accommodate for how do you consume this information. So we build this beautiful, really, really user-friendly interface. And we were selling this to the market, but we very much appear as another digital solution that could do supplier discovery, knowledge management. We start uh, building data sets and supplier diversity because we found mechanisms to grab information across over 500,000 small and diverse businesses and unify and validate those certificates back to the, the record. And so that allowed us to improve supplier diversity spend with customers who had very sophisticated supplier diversity program. And we're talking like from 25 to 300%, right? So wow. really instantly turning the light onto their supplier diversity spend and then other use cases that fell out of this. And so we were often seen as a, a, another software, another digital solution and the problem with that is that our clients would spend millions of dollars in source to pay and, and procure to pay with those companies talking about cloud-based technology being the way to digitize the function and lead the digital transformation and also told a really good data story. Now, unfortunately, sort of the false assumption is that it, it will fix your data. And I remember even a couple of years ago talking to uh, you know, a procurement team with very simple questions about their suppliers that they couldn't answer. They smiled, they couldn't answer it because they don't have visibility. And I said, well, we bought a cloud-based source to pay system and we'll be able to answer those questions. And you know, a year later, they're still in the implementation, they still can't answer those questions. <laughs> and so and we did a survey recently that, that showed that 93% of supply chain and procurement executives had negative impact on a regular basis because of misinformation and poor uh, data quality. So we know it's still a big, big problem, but when you buy into this because the software companies are telling you a good story and the analysts are telling you this is the way to go, you believe it. And so we were sort of seen as a nice to have, a cool technology, you know, uh, we could see the value, but we just invested in our, our system. Our sales cycle was a little long, getting the budget was a little bit challenging. And the big pivot for us was actually our, our VP of commercial strategy who came from the space, who saw firsthand in working in some of those uh, software company, you know, a lot of the friction and the, the, the failure that were happening in the implementation of these systems that was caused by the data quality and by not having this in an automated way. And so our big pivot last year was not changing our technology, but shifting how we articulate Tailbook to be the data foundation, to really focus our investment to continuing 
building the completeness of the data and less focus on the software. And so we do have a software that's great for mid-market to get them going. Turn the light on to your data. You can use a very user-friendly interface to get you so far. Once you want more robust functionalities, then you would go buy a software and you would connect it into a data foundation. Uh, and, and that there's a lot of benefits out of that. Anyway, long, long story, like it, it's you know, our journey in finding a way to tap into what our customers really cared about was a combination of us learning, but also the market changing and realizing that actually we need better data. And there's no better time. And so the last pivot of our journey has been COVID because you've poured millions of dollars in these systems and your teams are still quite paralyzed, right? They were not able to respond fast enough to the market changes they may have had a contingency plan. They may have had some, you know, uh, tools to identify risk, but they didn't have actionable insight to be able to do something about it fast enough. And this is where all the trends that we're seeing in the last three months are really coming to, to light is, you know, the agil true agility, true ways that you can uh, adapt to market changes and the importance of data is, you know, front and center. Yeah, no. And, and you know, going deeper into that, why don't you speak more about supply chain agility? Because I think, the last three months are probably, you know, you probably have a ton of case studies just from the last three months of how quickly companies have had to change and how Tealbook and other software solutions out there either helped or, you know, perhaps didn't help companies make that transition. And the ones that were able to make that transition have done well. The ones who haven't are struggling, to be honest. And, and so how, how do you think about supply chain agility? What are some of the things that you look for when you talk to a customer and kind of assess how bad or how great the situation might be? So for me, supply chain agility, and, and it was the CPO of Cisco who said it quite well, says, you know, my idea of procurement is that people in the company can make decisions really fast, not really even knowing that procurement exists, right? That's true enablement. And to me, it's putting good information in the hands of as many decision makers as possible to allow them to respond to market changes with good information. It, when, when we're quite far from that. I think in, in most organizations, data is not easily accessible. It's, it's very reliant on processes. And data lives you know, across system and people's heads and market intelligence report and consultants on Google. Data lives everywhere. And what procurement has done well so far is build processes, right? So that, that people know how to get the data, but there's still a lot of friction in that. We did a, we did a study with the Hackett Group a couple of years ago that showed that the time that there's a business requirement to getting a supplier started on average is 240 hours of effort time. Like that's when we're running a, a true sourcing project. So identifying the requirements, looking for the suppliers, qualifying the suppliers, running the RFP, reviewing the like all of that takes 240 hours. It's insane to think <laughs> if I'm in a business, all I need is the best supplier to get my job done. And if there's so much friction, either I'm going to avoid procurement, I'm going to I'm going to skip a lot of steps that potentially puts my company at risk or make doesn't necessarily result in the best possible outcome. You know, we've done in the in the Wakefield research study that we've done last and and actually the, the the survey was in March and April, so quite recent. They talked about 21 days from from validating and onboarding a supplier. So you've already run the RFP, you already know who you want to do business with. You need to do some diligence and validation and onboarding to collect all the record to get them to start doing the job. Is 21 days on average? Again, unacceptable. And then four days just to simply update a record into your system. 
right? So it's, it's people doing really tactical things that are such low value because they need to collect information. And most of the technology today rely on people, suppliers or resources internally or consultants to collect that information through portals or, or, or various ways when that data now through big data and the use of machine learning and natural language processing and a lot of other what seems to be buzzword, but it's not buzzword when you're actually applying it to business problems and you're able to automate this. And the big difference with our technology is that you don't rely on suppliers to come to their record for you to have value and visibility. If the suppliers do because you're asking them or your the other companies are asking them to come to Tailbook to validate or update or enhance their information, it's one thing, but they don't need to do it. The, the information is already collected. It's already organized. It's already being useful. And that's a huge differentiator. It removes a lot of the barriers and the friction. So in, in terms of COVID and what we've seen, the, I posted something on LinkedIn about the use cases that we're seeing, and they're all very consistent. There's a long list of use cases that came out of COVID, but I'd say, you know, the top four or five are, you know, your supply chain was disrupted. You have suppliers that are not, they don't have the capacity, so you need to find alternative really, really fast. Potentially, your executive team have wanted to reduce at extreme level spend, so you needed to have visibility to your suppliers and find ways to negotiate or cut them off, which probably ruined a lot of relationships and that's going to be tough to come back from uh, but it was necessary right in the in the in the time for various reasons on the upside you didn't expect to scale as fast as you did and so you didn't have the capacity or you know the resources to be able to do this as fast as the market was asking you to do it and a lot of manufacturers that shifted their production to make PPE that was a big one that we've helped and then just finding PPE, keeping your employees safe and comfortable coming to work because you needed employees to come into work for what for whatever reason. So those are the things that we've seen at the time, right? Very reactive to COVID uh, and how we were able to help. You know, we've, we've helped hundreds of companies uh, right away. We issued a statement that was picked up in Forbes and other media uh, that we were offering a supplier list. Uh, to any organization that had disrupted supply chain in any categories. And so we, we rapidly helped, you know, hundreds of companies reached out for, for all kinds of types of suppliers, a lot of PPE requests. And so we were able to help Brooks Brothers, for example, source suppliers of raw ingredients to make N95 masks that met the regulations. And they're able to produce over 100,000 N95 masks in record time. Another one was the UK just looking for PP manufacturers, not suppliers, but manufacturers that were ISO certified. So increasing the level of trust. We've seen a lot of in the media of planes coming back without masks or uh, buying masks that didn't meet regulations, even though they claim to be N95 masks and things like that. And so how do you increase the level of confidence is having the completeness of the information. Are these legit suppliers? Are they ISO certified? Do they sell PPEs before or, or ingredients of PPEs that are necessary? And so we're able to have the UK find over 60,000 manufacturers that were ISO certified so they could start reaching out and start building up, getting the, the capacity and, and reaching out to, to those manufacturers. So those were very reactive scenarios. What we're seeing very quickly, to your point earlier, like, it's crazy how fast we're now shifting into recovery. And the trends with Black Lives Matters, what we're seeing is a huge swell of interest in corporate social responsibilities. Right? Executive asking, what is our what is our position? What's our baseline? What are we spending with small and diverse businesses, specifically African American owned businesses? And the reality is most team, even if they have a supplier diversity program, it's so manual. 
that you may not be able to see 100% of your small diverse businesses. And so having an automated way to bring that information to light is hugely valuable to be able to respond to what your executive team is committing to. And then having uh, the tools, the information to be able to scale that program or scale your spend. So that means, you know, what your accurate can do a huge jump in your supplier diversity program. What potential suppliers that are diverse in your actual vendor master or machine learning can find things like veteran owned or African-American, but we can't validate a certificate. So that's a huge opportunity to increase your spend. And then having a network of suppliers that you can reach out to that are similar to your incumbents, but you can find them in real time by similarities, by geography, by size, by relevance, and then build up a, a list of potential secondary sources that are small and diverse to be able to include them in opportunities at the time of decision. And the biggest impact that we're able to make for, for that is around tier two. So I spend money with diverse suppliers, but my suppliers who may not be diverse are spending money with diverse businesses. And you're able to, to use that data into your reporting. The reason why suppliers may not do it is typically because it's quite time consuming. It's quite manual. It requires resources and put a program together. It's not in the, in the past has been a pretty substantial effort as now we're able to do it in one click report. And so our clients will start asking their suppliers to submit just, you know, by agreeing to terms, obviously uploading their vendor master, they can bring the light onto their own spend and able to report that to their customers. So it gives the supplier visibility into their own diversity spend. It gives them a competitive advantage now too, because if they're being selected and they spend money with small and diverse businesses that their customers can use in their reporting is a huge advantage. So I went kind of a tangent in supplier diversity, but that's one that is so right now we're being contacted by a lot of companies under pressure to get this data. So this is pretty exciting to us. Sustainability is a big factor that like consumers are asking for more transparency. They're asking for, you know, local businesses uh, and communities to be supported by those large enterprises. So finding those local businesses, uh, having programs and finding suppliers that are have sustainable uh, practices and are certified, super important. And then we're seeing, you know, again, to go back to agility and recovery and contingency planning, those are all things that companies are, are thinking about very seriously. But I've never heard so much in all the thought leadership councils and, and board that I sit on how important data is today. It's always been important, but it's, it's, yeah. it's significantly jump in importance. And that's really exciting to us. Yeah, no, it's amazing how the data conversation has shifted from purely financial, perhaps compliance as well, to now you mentioned sustainability, social responsibility, um, and, and you know all the different applications there. And I think seeing that shift and you know making sure that businesses see you know they benefit from a number of ways by having data and being able to control and have transparency to it and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's huge, and, and that makes a ton of sense. One of the questions I have, I mean, moving past COVID and the times we live in, which, you know, obviously it's tough to do. Um, I, I'd imagine that Tealbook right now is pretty well situated from a data perspective, really kind of focusing on the supply chain data problem. Fast forward, like say five to 10 years from now, how do you see this evolving? Where do you, what are some of the adjacent problems or products, solutions, however way you think about it? How do you think about, you know, the growth of Peelbook and the types of problems it can tackle in the future? 
Well, with better data, you're able to eradicate a lot of processes. So we definitely see growing use cases for having better data. And the deeper we get into the categories of data that we have, the more value we're able to deliver to our clients that it's addressing. You know, we helped a client with GDPR certificate recently, right? So they're looking for suppliers who meet the requirement for GDPR. They're doing this manually. We saved them months of work by giving them visibility to 30,000 of their suppliers. So those are increased use case because we get increasing level of data. The exciting part for us is customers who are thinking about their data foundation. And so uh, start using Tailbook to be their source of truth and start integrating into their processes, but also integrating into their, their technology. You know, we see a, a future state where you're not bound to the technology that you're buying. Today you are because you have to make really tough decisions about where the data will live and then integrate those systems to each other so that the data can flow, which is really hard to do. And then you're kind of stuck with your investment because changing or upgrading your technology means a lot of friction to have to redo this. And the analogy I often give is, you're, you know, back in the days when we had a phone that did not have data in the cloud, you lost your phone, you lose all your pictures, you got to email your friends to send you their contact information again. As today, I lose my phone, sure, I have to buy a new phone, but it's frictionless right? My, my phone gets all my data. It's on my watch, on my iPad, on my laptop. I'm not bound by the technology anymore. And so technology is important. Software is important, but software will keep evolving at a rapid, in a much more rapid state with all the new technology. And you want to be adaptable and you can only be adaptable if you have, uh, in my view, a really strong data foundation that removes the barriers of changing your technology, reduces significantly IT resources to have to build integration between your system. And then it gives you 100% coverage across your entire supplier base. Like you're now having visibility into areas that you couldn't before, which mitigates risk, which increases opportunities. And our data is becoming more predictive. So be able to give some, some really strong predictive insights to our clients. And then we have a sense, we have data in the communities. You know, if you think of this universal supplier record, the more customers it has, even though we don't share proprietary information between clients, the more nodes, the more information we get, the more we can give back. And so, you know, thinking about how many customers today, it's, it's light. So we have community-based data that's super valuable to our clients, but it's only going to get better. Right. So examples is I can see how many customers that supplier has in Tailbook. Well, if I'm comparing two suppliers and one has no customers in Tailbook and one has customers in Tailbook, well, that gives me greater confidence that the supplier is legit and doing business with other companies. And then you start, you know, understanding, well, how are these companies similar to yours? Size, industry, uh, life cycle, and things like that. Uh, we can start identifying trends for risk if a supplier is losing market share, spent across our customers or maybe they're increasing spend. So then you're seeing suppliers or up-and-comers, maybe startups that are bringing innovation. And the list goes on and on and on and on of things that you can see. But as we say to our client, it's a journey. Start by turning the light on. It takes no time. We take your vendor master, even if it's messy, we unify it. We give you that, that report up front in your dashboard. And then we train your team based on the use cases. But then we work with you to to keep having wins. What's the speed to value? What's the first ROI story we can tell? It could be small. We have a client who had someone in the business that had a really specialized type of piping supplier that said, you know, no other suppliers can do this specialized type of piping. And the category manager had Tailbook and opened Tailbook from their phone. So actually there's six other companies 
that do business in our space that look like they could do this specialized type of piping, do you mind if we invite them just to make sure we're getting the most value? And there's no argument. If you're in the business and your category manager has the information, you're not going to like, yes, sure. You can push back, but it's much harder. And then in that single sourcing event alone, they save $25 million. Right. So that's an amazing ROI story you can celebrate for supplier diversity with another diagnostic company. Uh, the sales team came to procurement and say, do we have our diversity spend? We're in an RFP with the Veteran Association. And we, in order for us to win that contract, we need to show small diverse businesses spend and specifically veteran-owned spend. They didn't have it. And so uh, they contacted us in panic. We need this within 48 hours. Could you guys do it? Of course, we took the data and we gave them back. And it was shockingly really high. And they're able to include it into their RFP. And they won a $100 million contract. Right, so, wow. so how can you find these stories that your team, one, you know that you can have a quantifiable benefit of what you've done, and then you, you can build more champions. We, it's much easier to do change management when you can show these quick wins right up front. And that's what our CS team is really, really focused on, is what's the priority, what business case, and what's, what are the measurable benefits from getting better data? And then you keep getting the buy-in and the excitement and the advocacy and suddenly the use cases just start popping. <laughs> People get really excited because yeah. they can see the potential. Yeah, totally. And, and I think beyond the dollar figures, like I said, the impact that you're able to make on different social causes, as well as the sustainability uh, perspective, shouldn't be undercounted. I think that's going to be just as important, if not more, right, in the long run. So I think uh, huge, huge uh, changes uh, you know, coming from this product, which I'm, I'm very excited about. It's one thing to come and work for a supply chain data company, but if you can make an impact on businesses, it's great. If you have a mission, if you're able to actually really, really make an impact, you know, we, we provided for, in response to Black Lives Matters, we have two African-American women that work for us, one in Canada, one in the U.S., so we want to have the different perspective. And we ask them, like, guide me as a CEO, guide us as a company, what, what our response, we believe in equality as part of our core values. Being in Toronto makes it incredibly easy to hire and have a diverse team. But with that, we have 32,000 African-American certified owned businesses in Tailbook. And so we're able to issue an offer for any organization that want to have access to increase their uh, their visibility and, and opportunities for African-American businesses. Please contact us. We'll give you the list, right? We'll give you access to an interface. And we changed the interface to black and, and we've added a few things to to make it align with the cause, but that makes our team feel really good. I think, you know, in attracting talent and, and giving our team a purpose, that's, uh, that's pretty significant. Totally. And switching gears a bit, we'd love to talk more about your leadership style. I think, you know, you, you touched on a lot of important causes, which I personally resonate with, uh, specifically when it comes to diversity, but, you know, curious to learn, like, you know, what kind of skill or mindset do you find most difficult to transfer? And I'm sure this has likely evolved uh, from your days at Matchbook to now Tealbook, but curious to know what, what is it, what's the hardest skill to transfer onto team members? And someone asked me and my team to be a mentor for some of our female employees. And it's hard for me to be a mentor for, for our employees because what I can teach them is very different. What they can teach me is very different. I've never worked for a large corporation. I don't know. I'm always building this puzzle. I've been called the most resilient founder in Canada. I don't think that's true. I think we're all incredibly resilient, but I'm so passionate about the problem that we're solving. 
And one of the gifts, and we talk about superpowers and, and we don't really buy in the full meritocracy kind of philosophy, but I do like it for some things. And I think it's all of us are bringing something to the table that's different. So when someone starts a tailbook, it's like, what's your superpower? What are you bringing to the team that's special? My special skill is the, is the ability to open any door and be able to, you know, be very convincing, not convincing because I'm trying to sell people on something, but convincing in our mission and the passion and the opportunities that's in front of us. And our employees are incredibly passionate, but it comes from a different place. And I've been able to open a lot of doors because of that with thought leaders, with, you know, uh, executives, with analysts, with the industry. And that's, that's sort of my special, my special gift. Now, there's a lot of Amazing. other things I don't have that my team can bring. I'm not really structured. And, you know, there's a lot of things that they're bringing that makes this work. And, and again, it's about having a diverse team. And even in our executive team, we're quite, all of us are quite different. And that's what makes it work um, incredibly well. Like, there's a healthy amount of friction, but it's always, as long as it's, we have respect and we all, you know, we all have the right, the right mission, we're all aligned, you know, we're always going to make the right decision and uh and that sometimes pull and, and push a bit between our team but that's what makes it so great amazing and, and you know going deeper onto your team like what has surprised you from having the diversity that you do have on your team when it comes to you know ideas or the way you think about the business like what are some of the things that they brought to the table that perhaps didn't come to mind when you were initially thinking through some of these problems i listen and and i'm not always right so that's the one thing is that I'm not always right. And I do pay attention for different things. Jeff is our CTO. He's very thoughtful, very analytical about things. He goes a lot deeper into some of the decision. He wants to prove points. And so when he says something, because he doesn't talk as much, he's not out there as much as I am. But when he says something, I really pay attention. I pay attention to everyone, but I really pay attention because I know there's something that either I haven't been able to validate or give him all the information and so i have to maybe go back to the drawing board and think through you know what i'm saying uh, or he's making me think differently and i'd say this for most of our, our executive team and actually most of our team we're all coming from different backgrounds you know we've got genders preferences age groups uh, ethnicity and that's what makes it so great and i look at our executive team we're you know we're again we're very different it gives me a lot of different ways to look at problems. And then I come back with my own decisions, but, and, and we talked about a big decision recently. It's like, well, I'm not doing this alone, right? So that's the good news. Someone's like, I, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes. I'm like, well, I'm not doing this by myself. That's the good news. One, we have an executive team and we've got a really uh, strategic and, and thoughtful uh, board of directors as well, which, which helps. Surround yourself with good oh. people basically and smart people that are different than you is, is the message. Completely agree. And, and, you know, would love to leave it off at that point. I think, you know, a lot of great lessons around not just supply chain, but running businesses from this conversation. So, uh, Steph, you know, really appreciate you taking the time. <laughs> you, you seem to be incredibly busy and, you know, with your daughters uh, coming in and out. You, know, <laughs> so you can see the multitasking of running a business <laughs> while juggling little people around. Yeah, it's, so, it's been a gift because I would have never had that opportunity to, to be home so much. Five years of, you know, of being on planes, more than that, being on planes almost every week. And, and this is a, a great opportunity to spend more time with my girls without apologizing or feeling guilty about it. So, and we still get things done and we're still growing. So, yeah, it's good. Amazing. Hey, you know, so thank you for uh, joining us today. And, and, you know, really look forward to 
seeing how Teal Book grows, I think you guys or the rest, your entire team is on an you know incredible trajectory, and uh, you know look forward to watching on the sideline. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. You've been listening to the Vertical Software Podcast. Make sure to rate and subscribe our show to stay up to date on future episodes of the Vertical Software Podcast. Thanks again and talk to you next week.